Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into another episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I'm your host, Jacob Sersosimo, and today you are listening on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? We got another Grand Slam around the corner. Roland Garros, the French Open, starts on Sunday. And that is the day this is going to be released. Now, I want to get this out before the French Open, obviously, to get my picks in and get my thoughts about it before the actual tournament happens. So if something happens in the tournament, y'all can't come after me and say, oh, yeah, you already knew what happened and you're coming after your picks after the first round. No. Boom. I'm coming at it today. Um, I want to talk about kind of leading up to uh, Roland Garros. Last week, I had a guest, Callie Carlson. She was fantastic. Took us inside the bubble at the U.S. Open. But this week... Um, I want to kind of catch up on some of the things that have been happening on clay, uh, some of the big headlines in Hamburg, Stefano Tsitsipas won that tournament, played Rublev in the championship and Rome in the masters 1000 in Rome, Novak Djokovic still hasn't lost him. I don't really count him losing at the U S open as a loss. Cause it, like, I, I mean, he lost, but like he didn't lose. Like, I don't know. I just don't count it as loss. Okay. So get off my back. So he still hasn't lost in, in 2020. He he won the Rome tournament um, against Diego Schwartzman. Now, this is another big storyline right now. Diego Schwartzman beat Rafael Nadal on clay, which was a shock to many people. Um, what does it have to do with? Maybe it has to do with Diego Schwartzman's playing good. He had an early exit from the U.S. Open. Maybe he's playing really well because he's had some rest. Um, but nevertheless, he beat Rafael Nadal on clay, which is kind of a big storyline in itself, but also Rafa you know, hasn't really played a whole lot other than the Aussie Open this year. So that could be another excuse. I don't, you know, Rafa's not one to throw excuses out there. But that's, this is something to definitely think about. But Diego Schwartzman, big fan of his going into Roland Garros and the way he's been playing and always a fan of the underdog, not only because his size. Now, I don't mean that in a mean way. I'm only 5'9", so I don't have much to brag about, but he is 5'7". And in a game that keeps getting bigger and bigger, um, I'm talking about players. Players keep getting bigger and stronger and faster. Uh, for Diego Schwartzman at 5'7", to be able to do what he's done, pretty impressive, and I'm a big fan. Uh, that was a big storyline in Rome. Rafael Nadal loses on clay. Let's move on to the main event, to the Grand Slam itself, Roland Garros. Now, I'm super excited about the French Open. I can't confirm fans yet. I can't find it anywhere. I'm not sure. I guess we'll find out in the first round whether there's going to be fans or not, so pay attention to that, and I'll probably talk about that next week on the podcast. Nevertheless, who am I excited for at the French Open? Obviously, I'm excited to see the big guys, right? I'm excited to see Djokovic. I'm excited to see Nadal. I'm really excited to see Nadal back in action since he missed the U.S. Open, and I haven't seen him then, but I am really, really excited to see some of these young guns because I think the U.S. Open gave them confidence that they didn't have before. To not have a big three make it deep into a tournament and actually give them the chance to win and on, honestly give them a chance to know what it feels like to play in those big matches, not against the big three. I think that gives them confidence that they really, really need, that they that they need to get to the next step, that they need to win that first Grand Slam of theirs. Dominic Thiem obviously won that first Grand Slam. Maybe Alexander Zverev learned a little bit about maybe the nerve game and, you know, not to get super nervous under pressure and how to play under pressure and stuff like that. So I think the U.S. Open was monumental to some of these players coming in to the French Open. Now, there's a few 
guys that I really like in this year's French Open. Now, obviously, I like, you know, the two big guys, Joker and Nadal. And do I think they're going to win it? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's hard to bet against both of those guys. But there's some younger guys that uh, I'm a big fan of. Now, I'm going to put my picks at the end of this episode. But I'm a big fan of guys like Stefano Tsitsipas. I'm a big fan of Guillaume on Feast in this tournament. He's French. He likes to play on clay. He said this is he says this is his favorite tournament. So I'm excited to see how he actually does this year at the French Open. And he took the US Open off. So he should be well rested. Obviously, guys like Dominic Team. Dominic Team before the US Open was one of my favorites for the French Open because of how he plays and how his game translates to clay. And so he's still a favorite of mine. My only problem is he played a lot, a lot of tennis in New York. And we obviously saw how long some of his matches were, and they kind of took a toll on him. And he might still be be riding that high of New York, you know, like there's not as much pressure to win the French now because he's already won a Grand Slam this year. So that's my only downfall of Dominic Team going into the French. But other than that, his his clay court play has usually been really, really good. If you remember correctly, he almost beat Nadal on clay last year in the final. So I believe that's right. Um, but I'm a big fan of Dominic Team. Um, look for guys like Alexander Zverev. Uh, he might be looking for revenge, want to go deep in this tournament, or he might not. But I think the way he's been playing lately, I would definitely keep my eyes on him. And then you obviously got the guys like, uh, you know, Karina Busto or Busto, who played really well. Uh, Batista Goot, who's obviously really good. There's a lot of good guys to pay attention to. One thing I really want to talk about, this is a really good first round match here. Um, Simone and Shapovalov. Shapovalov, watch for him to make a run here, but I'm not too concerned about Shapo making a run at the French Open simply because he says he likes the faster surfaces, so and that doesn't play well into clay at all. I think he just plays the tournament just because everyone else does. Uh, Rublev and Query play first round. That should be a good match. A first round match to really, really, really pay attention to. I'm going to let you know. Murray, Andy Murray, a wild card, plays the 16 scene. Stan the man, Stanimal, Stan Wawrinka. This is unbelievable. To get a big four player to play Stan Wawrinka, at one time I believe Wawrinka was like five in the world and Murray was like three. So to have this in the first round is obviously really exciting. And Murray played really, really well in New York. So this is going to be very, very interesting to see first round Wawrinka at play in New York. This is something to really keep your eye on. One of those first round matches that makes you a little scratch your head like how's this happen? But um, I'm really excited about that match. Taylor Fritz obviously had a good run at the US Open. There's a lot of good young players in this tournament that might have had some good confidence. And I'm really looking forward to playing in the French Open. Now, I don't get to really watch a whole lot of the French Open because of the time zones and just how it kind of lines up with my day usually. But I'm really going to try to follow it this year and stay on top of it. I got the Roland Garros app. If you have a download of that, I recommend downloading that because it gives you all the good information you need to know, just like the US Open app did. Um, but nevertheless, this year, I'm going to really try to dial in on it and see what I can get out of the Roland Garros app and follow along with the tournament really well. And I'm really excited about this year's French Open just because how weird this year was and it coming pretty much right after the US Open. We've come to the point of the episode where I'm going to tell you my picks for this year's French Open. I believe on the men's side, I'm going to go with Stefano Tsitsipas. Um, 
I'm just trying not to go with Nadal and Djokovic because obviously they're going to make a big run, both of them. I'm just going to go. I'm I'm going to pick outside the big uh the big two here. It's usually it was the big four. Now it's big three, and now it's big two. Um, at the U.S. Open it was a big one. Um, but I'm going to try to stay outside of them. So I'm going to go with Stefano Tsitsipas. He's had a pretty good year. Uh, even this, you know, the time he was playing before the U.S. Open started and before tennis got back up in the UTS, the Ultimate Tennis Showdown, he played really well. Um, and he's just showed growth all year. So I'm going to go with him as my pick. He's not really like a dark horse, I would say, but, you know, he's definitely got potential to play really well and, you know, very well if he if he plays the best. You know, he won the ATP Finals. Maybe he can make a run here at the French Open and win on clay in Paris. On the women's side, this is kind of a shock, but not really just the way she's played lately as well as her determination and her grit, I think will translate really well to Clay, and that is Victoria Azarenka. I'm going to pick her to win the French Open. She's played really, really well. Serena could very well take the cake here as well because she's really looking for that 24th Grand Slam, and this could be the Grand Slam where it happens. But I'm going to stick with Victoria Azarenka. What a tournament she had at the US Open. What a year she's having, and the power this woman has um, and the grit she has on the court. I'm really rooting for it. Now I want to get to a topic that is quite sensitive. Um, This is something that I just came across the weekend of the tournament, and it has to do with Fernando Verdasco. Now, he wrote a letter, and he put it on social media, and I read it. And this is what I am getting from this letter and what's going on with the whole Fernando Verdasco situation. Now, you can pick your own side to this story, or you can, you know, translate it the way you are and as far as I know that Roland Garros hasn't come out hasn't come out with a statement or anything but this is what I've gathered from it in August Fernando Verdasco had COVID-19 he did his quarantine he came out of it he tested negative a couple times boom he was done with it right so he started prepare for the U.S. or for the French Open sorry I talked so much about the U.S. Open I keep thinking about the U.S. Open um he started preparing for the French Open And what it appears to me is when he traveled with his family and his team to Paris, they all took a COVID-19 test. He took a COVID-19 test with his family. Everyone tested negative except Fernando Verdasco. And he was like, I don't think this is right. I don't believe I have COVID-19. Here, I'm going to do whatever I can to get a retest because I think this is a false positive. So he reaches out to Roland Garros, tries to get another test. They won't do it. What I believe is he went and what this is what I believe is kind of what I'm reading. He wrote a letter. You can go to his social media. I'm not saying this is just my thoughts um, about what I think happened. This is what I'm gathering from what he said in his letter. So it says that he took two more, three more tests, actually. Um, he took a two PCR tests, which I believe are COVID-19 tests, and a serology test on his own account, right? So he went out and got those by himself in Paris, and all three of those tests came back negative. But they still, Roland Garros still wouldn't let him play, even though those came back negative, and they wouldn't let him take another test, even though he believed and stressed to them that he believed they were a false negative. So what I've just explained is he had COVID-19 in August, he came to Paris, his whole family tested negative the same time he tested positive as part of Roland Garros. He tried to get another test from Roland Garros because he didn't believe he had COVID-19. They said, 
no, we won't give you another one. So he went and got some on his own, and they tested ne- and he tested negative. But still, Roland Garros won't give him another test, and essentially, he can't play in the French Open. Now, in another statement he came out with on social media, he says, to further my outrage and frustration, like, Fernando Ferdasco is pissed off, and he should be pissed off, because this is the part that doesn't make any sense. He says, to further outrage my frustration, we now learn that Roland Garros changed the rule yesterday and agrees to retest those who have tested positive in their PCR, PCR being COVID-19 test. But what about me now? I was not given the option, nor is any action taken now to rectify the error, and I am simply excluded from the draw. He can't play in the tournament. They're literally redoing people that tested positive. Now they're changing the rule, but they won't let him back into the draw, They or they won't let him into the draw in general and they won't retest him. He begged to, it sounds like he begged to be retested, and they wouldn't retest him. This is absolutely bonkers to me. This is frustrating to me, one, because I like Fernando Verdasco, two, because you chose to have a tournament during the coronavirus pandemic, right? The French Open chose, you know what, economic reasons or whatever reasons they wanted, I can't, I mean, I'm imagining from TV rights and sponsorships and stuff like that, they're going to make a lot of money off the French Open, whether it's, I mean, it's going to be less than years before, but anything's better than nothing at this point during the pandemic. But if you choose to have a tournament during the coronavirus pandemic, and then you pull some stuff like this, where you don't let one of the, you know, one of a, a huge name in the tennis world, Fernando Verdasco, he's a vet, an absolute vet in the sport, a class act, and you pissed him off so bad, he went to social media and he roasted you. And he's like, that's not Fernando Verdasco's thing. Like, he doesn't do that to people. But for him to be that mad to write all these letters and put them on social media, I can't believe that Roland Garros is doing what they're doing. To me, it's not, I'm totally on Verdasco's side about this. I can't believe that they wouldn't retest him, even though he said, I believe that I have a false positive, right? And then they changed the rule and they still won't retest him. The other thing is there's only been a few people in the world that have got coronavirus then got a coronavirus again. Now by a few, there's probably hundreds or thousands, but nevertheless, it's not as common as other things, right? The fact that he had it in August and what it sounds like he had pretty mild symptoms or none at all, and he got over it pretty easily. Um, and then come here and his whole family, everybody he's around, which I'm venture to believe his wife and then his kid and then his team, which is probably about six people, I'm guessing, all of them test negative except him. He tests positive and he begs for another test. At this point, Roland Garros, you probably have so many damn tests anyway that you should be able to just one more test for one of the most known players. No, they exclude him from the draw. Now, at the end of that statement, he goes, quote, today they tell me that there is no solution for me. I feel enormously frustrated and powerless. But is Roland Garros doing something to correct this situation? Question mark. No. Sincerely, Fernando Verdasco. I feel so bad for Fernando. That's end quote. I feel so bad for Fernando Verdasco. I mean, it sucks, right? And it's so frustrating, and I'm so glad none of this happened for the U.S. Open, and it just shows you um, the professionalism and what the U.S. Open went through to make sure their tournament went right. I didn't hear anything like this come out of the U.S. Open. I'm sure there might have been some hiccups and bumps and bruises, but for Roland Garros to 
exclude a player like this and then change the rule and not include him, absolutely undescribable. You, there's no reason for that. And there's no reason for that in this sport. What, what if that happened to Nadal? You're going to tell Rafael Nadal he can't play in the French Open this year? No, I bet they would test him eight other times. And I'm sorry I'm so passionate about this and I'm so upset about this, but you chose to have a tournament during the coronavirus pandemic. Deal with the consequences, figure out how to make it work, give everybody a fair chance, and make sure that the sport is played the right way. And this does not represent the sport the right way in my eyes. And I'm extremely disappointed in the French Open. And that's all I really have to say about it. I'm going to get off my soapbox and I'm going to be done talking about it. Um, but I will let you know how the French Open goes the next week. I will keep you updated next week. If you want to sponsor, reach out at Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V, or you can reach out to me at Jacob Sersosimo on social media, Believe Pod, at Believe Podcast on social media for Believe, um, at me, at Jacob, C-E-R-S-O-S-I-M-O. Thanks for listening to my TED Talk, my rant. Um, nevertheless, French Open's back, tennis is back, and I couldn't be more excited to watch Nadal and some of these other players really get back to work on the clay court in Paris. Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Please stay healthy out there. Wear a mask if you need to. And please, please, please take some time to watch some tennis and relax over the next two weeks. Take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.